The amount of mental math that you people are doing. All from the spreadsheet. What mental math? Oh See, that goodness. I feel like is where the spreadsheet would come in handy Stop. because then you can put everything on the spreadsheet. And you and can see this have... as one third of a book. <laughs> Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first 2021 episode of Keep It Fictional from the Port Moody Public Library. We are so glad that you are joining us today to talk about kind of like topical, topical topic is the word that I'm going to use today. Words are hard. Joining me as ever, we have got the fantastic Sadie, Liz, and Virginia, and Fiona. Hello. Hello. Did you have a good new year? Yeah. So far, so good. I know every year the discourse happens around New Year that you're supposed to be better, stronger, faster, or maybe that's just that Daft Punk song. But, you know, it's a new year, but you are still the great, fabulous, wonderful, complete person that you were last year. And we're happy that you're here. Which kind of brings us to our topic, which is the timely subject of self-help books. Now, I know a lot of my fellow readers here are not fans, and this might have been a bit of a struggle to find a book today. Is that true? Yeah, I didn't really have anything like sort of already in my arsenal that I'd read before. Nothing I wanted to share on a podcast anyway, you know? <laughs> yeah, same as Fiona. I, I definitely had to read read fresh books for this one, try and find something that that I actually wanted to change or work on or develop or, yeah. <laughs> so if you think about it, we go back even to like the ancient Egyptians and their code of conduct. They are books that are telling you how to live your best, most righteous life. And almost every culture has a kind of self-help guide or guide to be living a good life. So if you think about it, self-help has been around for a really, really long time, probably just not in the way that we think of it right now, which is a gigantic industry, which accounts for about 3% of all books published in the entire world. Self-help is an industry. It is a business. And it is a business and a genre, I'd say, with a fair amount of problems. So self-help books are no substitute for a doctor or a psychologist or a therapist or a counselor. Um, they are often written by people who just have an idea and, and want to make a lot of money off of it. And there is the kind of strange implication that any problem that you have should be able to be solved by you. And if you cannot solve it by reading this book, then it is your fault that you are in pain or in suffering, which obviously I don't agree with. 
Yeah, the, the other implication with a lot of self-help books is that there's something very fundamentally wrong with you and you're doing your life wrong. And here is me, the outside expert, who is going to tell you how to fix it in seven easy steps. So self-help is a genre with some problems, but what I like about the genre, because I love to read self-help books, is that I usually end up learning a different point of view or how other people do things. So whether this is organizing a closet and seeing how some people can apparently fold their socks like consistently every time is amazing, eye-opening and baffling to me. I also love books that talk about how our brains work and how we think and interpret the world and also books about like society at large and, and how we move and interact with each other. So with that, we have five... I say very different approaches to self-help that we are going to talk on the uh, episode today. Liz, what book did you choose to self-help today? Well, I took the concept of self-help uh, pretty liberally. I kind of encompassed self-care within that. So one of the ways in which I personally know when I am practicing self-care and being good to myself is how much effort I put into my skincare. A lot of people think, well, skincare, that's pretty basic. That's something we've been taught to do all of our lives, something we do every single day, multiple times a day. But there's a lot of different steps you can do or not. You can be really minimalist about it, or you can really be maximalist, have your 10 steps, your 10 products. You do you. Whatever works for you is great. Personally, I know whether or not I am practicing good self-care for myself by how much effort I put into this. So at night, am I just dialing it in with a face wipe, wiping that stuff off my face and going to bed? Or heaven forbid, going to bed with my makeup on, shocker. Or am I actually taking the time to wind down by thoroughly cleansing my skin and moisturizing it? That's why I decided to choose this book today. It's called Skincare and it's by Caroline Hurons. Now, this is a hefty sort of volume that can almost be considered a reference guide, but it's jam-packed with lots of great content broken up into different sections with lots of fantastic illustrations. So for those of you who aren't familiar with Caroline Hurons, she's a British beauty blogger and consultant. Um, she's got a lot of YouTube videos with many, many hits, and she's considered, I guess, an influencer um, within the beauty world, so in the most positive sense of the word. So she genuinely tries out different products and will provide reviews for them, and even has a list of her core uh, must-have worthwhile products, and none of those products are paid placements. Monetary figures don't influence into her decisions as to what makes her lists. So this particular book, Skincare, it's for all ages and for all skin types, and it really debunks a lot of myths about what good practices are. So when I was a teenager growing up, all of the teen magazines told me to wash your face until it's squeaky clean. If it's not squeaking, you're not doing it right. You know, use your oxy pads. It smells like nail polish remover. It kind of stings a little, but trust me, you'll get that squeaky clean feeling. And also use that walnut scrub. Yes, that facial scrub that has little ground up bits of walnut shells in it. 
nah, no. It's a different time where skincare is definitely part of self-care and you got to be good to yourself and your skin will show that it appreciates you in return. So I love how this book really breaks everything down by chapters. Essentially, if you're only looking to alleviate a certain concern that you have, you can just go straight to that chapter. Um, if you have questions about a particular type of ingredient, we see lots of products out there and there's lots of jargon and terms and they say, well, this has this particular ingredient, so it is good for you. Well, maybe it's not quite the right product for you or maybe it's not quite the right concentration. So Caroline Hurons has tons of great information that you can kind of pick and choose from to customize what works best for you what you shouldn't waste your money on, what you shouldn't waste your time on, and what you should avoid to help destroy, to help not destroy your skin, basically. So I love how she's very no-nonsense. She tells it like it is. And she talks about products that cover all budgets. So she doesn't promote one brand over the other or one type of product over the other. She believes that skincare is part of self-care and that everybody should have the tools, the knowledge to decide what works best for them so that their skin can look the best that it can. So definitely check it out if you're looking to kind of get a bit more of that glow or sort of that spa kind of feeling at home, regardless of your budget. Definitely check out Skincare by Caroline Huron. Very nice. Very nice. I like that it's got like the different budget points because yeah, not everyone wants to drop a thousand dollars at Sephora every time they walk through the doors. Definitely not. There's also mm -hmm. so much info out there to, to have something that can kind of tell you what is to be believed and what is not to be believed by all of the different companies trying to sell you their products. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Knowledge is power. Yeah. Does she give any like recipes or talk at all about like homemade stuff? Not really. She does talk about, um, you know, what qualifies as an organic product, but these are all commercially made products. Yeah. Um, so not so much sort of DIY skincare. All right. Uh, so as I said at the beginning, uh, this was definitely a topic that I did not have a ton to already pull from. And so when I was trying to think about what kind of self-help or self-care book I wanted to talk about. I I thought about what I was wanting to work on in my life and what it came down to was organization. And my my house is a, is not super disorganized, but there are there's a lot of things in not a very big amount of space and so it tends to get very overwhelming. Um, I don't always have places for everything, and so I wanted to find something that could help me organize my house, organize uh, the different rooms in my house. Um, I definitely jumped on the Marie Kondo bandwagon a couple years ago, watched the first episode, immediately went and cleared out my closet, which I think so many people did. I never actually went back to the show after that. I just watched the first episode and cleared out my closet. I think I will one day get back to it again, um, but I wanted something that wasn't as well known as uh, as the Marie Kondo guide that I feel like a lot of people know about. Um, so I read a few different books uh, to help with organization. And the one that I chose to talk about today was one that I, it, it's a bit of an interesting take on it, but what I really liked about it is that it provided very clear 
lists that you can follow and very clear kind of guides on how you can go about organizing uh, different parts of your house. Uh, so what I decided to talk about is called Organize for a Fresh Start. And this is by Susan Fay West. And the idea behind it is that it is a book for organization for people who are going through a transition in their life. And this is not necessarily exactly what I am dealing with, but I just found that the way that she talks about organization and the way that she lays out the kind of the steps that you can take or the steps that she often takes when she's organizing something, I found really, really helpful. Um, she provides a chart that you use that you go around your house and fill it out um, depending on the different rooms, uh, what you, when you're looking at that room, what that room would not be without, what needs to be in that room for it to, to be useful for you, to, to for it to be enjoyable for you to use that space. Um, she has kind of lists of questions uh, that I found really helpful as well. Um, so I think that even if you're not necessarily going through a transition, the actual steps for organization in that book were really, really useful. As I said, I, I did read a couple of books. And what I found with a lot of the other ones was that it was them talking about spaces that they had organized and not a lot of them telling you how to go about organizing your own space without hiring them to come in and organize your space for you. Um, I started reading the home edit and even followed them on Instagram. Uh, a few days later, I unfollowed them on Instagram and um, I did finish it, but I, I decided not to talk about that one. Um, but yeah, I think that this one just does a really good job of laying things out in a very linear fashion, which works really well for me. I need something that kind of tells me the steps. I work well in steps. Um, so if you are similar to that, I think that this would be a really great book. I found that I did have to skim through some of it, which I don't often do. I find that at least this kind of book, I did not read cover to cover. Um, I think similar to what Liz was saying, as you can kind of pick the chapters that that you want to focus on, this was similar. So I would jump around to different different chapters and skim over a few of the anecdotal stories about the middle-aged woman who is now divorced with three children and having her mother come to live with her. And that is the transition that she is going through. Um, so not as all entirely relatable, um, but the the list that she provides and the steps that she provides, I found super useful. I haven't implemented all of them yet, but it definitely provides me with a starting point uh, to get implemented and to start organizing my space. So that was Organize for a Fresh Start. Well, your background behind you looks very organized. Oh, thank you. Oh. Yes, I'm, yeah, just don't look at the rest of the room. <laughs> this one little video corridor is pretty mm. good. <laughs> mm -hmm. It looks great. All the stuffies all in a row. Very mm -hmm. nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. Um, I'm going to skip to myself so I can get myself over with. So the book that I'm going to talk about was actually one of one of my favorite reads of 2020. 2020 was a struggle. It was a struggle in a number of regards. This book just kind of helped put certain certain things in perspective helped as like a little personal manifesto to like relax a little bit take care of yourself just a little bit and kind of articulated why i think as a society we have certain feelings about certain things 
So the book that I am going to talk about is called Do Nothing, How to Break Away from Overworking, Overdoing, and Underliving by Celeste Headley, who is a journalist. And what this book is, is essentially a look at the history of work in the Western world. So how work and labor has been approached kind of pre-industrial revolution and then during the industrial revolution and then kind of as we're headed into this kind of like deep capitalist state and how essentially our our time has been made so so monetized that it is hard for us psychologically to take time for ourselves to do nothing without trying to make money from it so it takes a look at um at capitalism at work, at the history of leisure, um, which I thought was very interesting. Also how technology affects our relationship to work and, and to money. And I think that the first half of the book is really, really successful when it's going through that, that history and the psychology of, of how our mindset towards work has changed and kind of articulates the problem in our society because we can always check our emails now so we can always be working and maybe we should always be working isn't that what we're supposed to be doing and if we're not working we should probably have a side hustle because you know you just got to keep hustling got to keep making that money and how and why as a western society we are in that weird cycle and how it makes it really hard to turn off from doing that the second part of the book is kind of more of a look at strategies that you can take to unplug yourself from that capitalist system, which I think is a little bit less successful, you know, as, as a journalist who has a very um, demanding life and a lot of demands on her. I think that she is struggling with this a lot and doesn't particularly have all the answers to it or have it all figured out, which in some ways is kind of refreshing that someone is honest enough to say, you know what, I know this is a problem. I cannot figure this out by myself. I am a journalist. I am not a psychologist or a therapist, but these are things that experts have suggested, um, which I thought was kind of nice and, and honest. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking a walk in the forest. Like it's not gonna do you any harm. So it's kind of just like a nice suggestion. Um, but yeah, Do Nothing what came at a really great time. I think it's a very, uh, very interesting if you're interested in kind of like history of work um, and kind of like critiques of capitalism. Um, it was a very fun and very easy, easy read, which which was kind of nice in 2020 just to kind of say, it's all right. Everyone's feeling a little harried right now and it's fine. It's fine. It's the system. It's the system. When we were planning our book chats, it was on your list. Um, so I thought, okay, well, you know, if the extremely hard worker is advocating this do nothing book then um i think that that's all the testament i need for it the worker is starting to try to do nothing good for you trying my friend was hounding me to read it all year so i really really got to read it now there you go so it's coming from all directions now fiona all right well we kind of switched tracks to our deep probing question of the episode, our existential angst question. And this one is actually pretty easy because it could be a yes or no answer, but I would like you to like expand a little bit on your answers. And my question for you is, do you have at the beginning of the year reading resolutions or do reading challenges? So do you kind of like think about your reading life at the beginning of the year and kind of plan accordingly? And I am going to ask 
Virginia. Virginia, what is your answer? I think we probably all do, maybe many of us do the Goodreads challenge just to decide on like at least a number of books that you hope to read. Um, so that's something that I do do every year. And then in terms of sort of reading resolution, I think looking back at last year, what I read, I'm very nerdy about this. I have a whole spreadsheet to analyze how I what I read. <laughs> so I look back about like, well, what am I missing? Like, am I missing authors from a particular country? Am I missing like, you know, should I kind of take a look at that and then maybe see what I can do like and, and more be more purposeful when I'm picking books this year and just should fill in those gaps so that it looks a little more balanced this year. So I try, try to do it. So, yeah. A spreadsheet. I do. I know. I, I want that spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> That's so probably nerdy. the more fun, just setting it up. Like, you know, how do I make this weird formula? So it would just automatically calculate this for me, you know, and all that. So, yeah. That's what I spend Sorry, my time. it has time pivot doing. tables in it? Like, There's no pivot table, but I could. There's charts. Okay. 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 So going from an intensity of like 10... Um, Fiona, what, what same question to you? Where's your spreadsheet? Show your work. The other, the, the low end, 10 to zero. <laughs> so I do use the um, Goodreads goal setter, but that is pretty much all I do. I'm such a moody reader that like, I, you know, I have these big to read lists. Sometimes I'll go and organize them, what I'm going to read next. And then it comes and like, I don't want to do anything prescribed. I just like, nope. If I'm supposed to do that, I'm not going to do it. So I just pick up whatever is random in there and I can't follow. But I do like I do like the Goodreads one to just like make sure, okay, here's a round like what I read last year. Let's up it a little bit. Although I didn't actually get to mine this year. <laughs> last year, sorry. Neither. Neither. The first time in like as long as I've been on Goodreads, last year was the only year I did not make it. Liz, what year. about you? I also use Goodreads, so I set the challenge every year um, as well. That list includes everything that I read. So if it's a, you know, maybe a comic or manga or something that's a relatively quick read that goes on the list. Um, so, but in my mind, about half of that number has to be like real books, <laughs> so to speak. So no knock on the graphic novels or comics, because you know I love those. Um, but I could read those all day. So to make sure that I read you know, novellas or sh compilations of short stories or actual uh, nonfiction or fiction books. In my mind, um, <laughs> it's about half of that total number. That's kind of what I do. Like I would go through my list, even I ignore the number and be like, so two comics equal one. <laughs> like give it, give it the stuff that I like, a, a, like a easy chapter book in, you know, in kids, I count it as like half a book. Because I want to have a record of all the books I read, but it doesn't feel like it counts as a full book, just like what Liz said. <laughs> so I'll combine them. I'll be like, these three only took me like an hour. So I'll like put them together. That's one book. And then I go recount them and see how many books I actually read. What do you do with picture books? Because I never like, I don't put them in my Yeah, I'll give myself the junior novels, but I won't give myself picture books. Yeah. Yeah. I do just... For reference, so if I want to look back and go, I really enjoyed that picture book, but what was it? Then just so it's on the record on my Goodreads. The amount of mental math that you people are doing. <laughs> All from the spreadsheet. 
What mental math? See, that I feel like is where the spreadsheet would come in handy because then you can put everything on the spreadsheet. And you can say this has one third of a book. How is it not a book? It is a book, but it doesn't count as, in my sense of reading, like the reading time that I spent, it's half a book. Because I also feel like I'm cheating. If I'm cheating putting who? like if I'm putting our diaries like 10 times in there, then I feel like I'm cheating in terms of reading books. So it's like I can't say I read like 10. Because that's 15 minutes, right? So that's not really. I didn't realize that this conversation would involve spreadsheets. And so I'm sorry that I'm just not emotionally prepared to deal with these revelations. All right conversations now. should involve spreadsheets. Anyways, moving quickly on to Sadie. I don't think I'm going to relieve you of my of your spreadsheet. <laughs> uh, no, I don't actually have a spreadsheet. But now that Virginia has mentioned it, I would very much like a spreadsheet. And I've thought about making a spreadsheet because I don't. This is an entirely different conversation, but I don't leave reviews on Goodreads. And I have thought about doing a spreadsheet so that I can leave reviews at least for myself to be able to go back to and look for my own reference. Um, to know because I, I will often look at the stars that I've given a book and not remember a single thing about why I gave the book that many stars and so having that guide I have thought about so I think I will probably create a spreadsheet now uh, with Virginia's inspiration um, <laughs> but yes I, I do Goodreads challenge uh, beginning of the year I get quite quite excited about setting my Goodreads challenge um, every year this is the first year that both me and Tyler, my husband, set a Goodreads challenge. Um, so I was quite proud of him uh, for doing that. Uh, and that's kind of the end of it for me at this at this point. I don't, uh, yeah, I kind of try to make the number and, and not, not many other resolutions or goals when it comes to specifics. Well, I don't have a spreadsheet, that's for sure. I do the Goodreads thing. Um, I usually put a very high number but again I didn't reach it last year because last year was such a struggle um that to just kind of like alleviate a little bit of pressure on myself I set it at a really low number trying to do this year is to focus on like the habit of reading so like trying to do that before bed like every night um trying to do it a little bit on the sky train make it a bit more of a routine rather because like a lot of us here I'm a very mood-based reader I can only read certain books when the moon is in Jupiter and Saturn is ascendant um, and then I'll read a lot but I'm just trying to make it a little bit more of a habit and then the other thing that I'm trying to do that I started a little bit last year was actually read books recommended by other people <laughs> Which, you know, coming from someone who's involved in a project that is recommending books to other people, it seems a little hypocritical that I never read books that are recommended by others. So that's something that I'm going to try and do this year is, is take some recommendations because the books that have been recommended by people last year that I read, um, so Woman's World, um, Sadie by Sadie, um, interior Chinatown. I loved, I loved them so, so, so much. So I'm, I'm going to try and make a concerted effort to take recommendations from other people. But not unsolicited ones, right? Not unsolicited. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Anyhow, um, all right, uh, Fiona, what was your self-help pick? Well, before I reveal, I would like to acknowledge that um, I am very happy with how this challenge has um, kind of expanded my reading. I, it was nice to walk down the self-help section and be like, oh, I don't really like come here. I don't really think about these books. And it also was this feeling of like, oh, are other people going to see me in here? You know, and I, and I definitely get that with patrons being afraid to ask where a book is, you know, maybe about divorce or dealing with loss. Uh, and, you know, we can check our own books out, but they have to bring it to the checkout when the self-checkout's not working. Um, so there is a little bit of, like, discomfort around self-help. And I sort of uh, realized that through this, of like, oh, yeah, I don't really read them. And if I did, maybe I wouldn't want people to know about it. But um, in the end, I found something, and I don't even remember how I came across it. I think maybe on the new book's shelf. It is called Supermaker by Jamie Schmidt. Uh, crafting business on your own terms. So um, I picked this up because I enjoy crafting things, uh, especially in the fiber arts world, but pretty much dabbled in everything else. Going against uh, Kareen's book, you know, it's always that feeling of like, yeah, but what if I, what if I sold what I made? What if I made that into a business? Because I can't just do things for myself. And well, this was a very satisfying and interesting read. I will say that it wasn't as advertised. So it is, it says that it's crafting business on your own terms. It's not at all. It's crafting business on Jamie Schmidt's terms. <laughs> uh, basically a business biography. <laughs> so um, that was really, really interesting. But it's definitely not a how-to, it's more of a case study. So, if you don't know, uh, Jamie Schmidt is the creator of Schmidt Beauty, who are a deodorant company. And it takes it from uh, her story from her little tables at markets uh, with her homemade deodorant to selling her product to Unilever for, you know, billions of dollars or whatever a lot of money so it was super interesting to like just get that case study of taking something from small to giant in seven years but it's also like not very typical I think a lot of people that want to you know be a maker probably want to sell their mittens at at the craft market uh and not you know like patent them and and sell them to a big company <laughs> so Jamie is recently divorced and she gets pregnant uh, with her new boyfriend. Uh, she has jumped around from career to career and recently relocated to Portland. And she sort of just doesn't know what she's doing. Then she becomes obsessed with making DIY beauty products. It ends up sort of like really focusing on that during her pregnancy and after her pregnancy. She marries the guy she's seeing and suddenly her business is taking off. She goes from like sort of having a line of beauty products to just focusing on the deodorant because uh, as she frequently says in her books, uh, it stands out as a natural deodorant that actually works. Uh, so it really takes off in the market community and then we get to see her sort of go step by step as she goes through a redesign, gets a warehouse, partners with 
um, famous people. It was like quite an interesting journey. And there was all sorts of neat tidbits um, about business and product creation. Like for instance, you have to buy a barcode. I never really thought about that process before. And it's expensive to buy a barcode for your product, but you can also buy a recycled um, barcode for $35. So just like all these little things that I really enjoyed seeing from start to finish, little view into the business world. So it, well, it wasn't like, um, you know, here's how you build your small business um, and make relationships with people in your community to sell. It, uh, it was really interesting to get the start to finish of her success in business. Her voice is very interesting because she is like, she's just so dedicated, like one of those scary dedicated people that you imagine meeting them and like just being sort of like, whoa, you're intense. And so it was half, you know, half between like, this woman is too much and also like, wow, she's really, really interesting and neat and dedicated. One thing I'm kind of kind of slam her and say that um, if you're looking for like a feminist approach to business, because um, you're like, oh, it's a it's a woman. She was a mother. You know, she was pregnant and she started this business and now she's so successful. Um, I would say that she is not a lift while she climbs kind of person. So yeah, I know that's like a pretty big critique, but uh, it did it did bother me a little bit. Um, she's very like dedicated to the environmental impact of her product. But yeah, I didn't see a lot of sort of like thinking critically about about um, being a woman in business. <laughs> but I should probably say some other nice things about it before so I don't end on that note. <laughs> Who knew that uh, deodorant was so interesting? I'm also like really interested in like the supply chain. I can see my colleagues laughing in the little windows. So I'm having a hard time keeping it together. But it is very interesting the things from like sourcing the materials to like hiring people getting the right machinery to like mix it all together and then getting a designer to design the packaging and she like she just wanted everything just so and was very much in control of all of it uh, so it was just like a really good opportunity to look at the life of a product and the life of the design of a product from beginning to end and you can go to the grocery store now and pick up Schmidt's deodorant and, and give it a try. Um, I actually realized that I already use it, which was pretty funny. <laughs> um, yeah, so definitely something, if you're wanting to read about being a maker, I would say include this in what you're going to read because uh, it was really interesting. Definitely not a uh, exhaustive, um, but a good thing to have on the shelf or in your collection if you want to learn more about being a maker. I bet she uses spreadsheets. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I bet she has spreadsheets of her spreadsheets. <laughs> well, I didn't know that we would be like discovering Fiona's love of supply chains today, but that's what you get at Keep It Fictional. You just... There's always another layer, always another layer. <laughs> All right, uh, Virginia, what book do you have for us? 
So I do read quite a few sort of self-helpy kind of books because I really love reading about human behavior, like I, I, psychology and all that. Like that's kind of one of the things I do do read about. So any kind of more research and science-based self-help book, I do go to. Um, but of course, everything that Corinne said earlier was really true about the whole self-help industry, um, self-help book industry. Um, so it's always kind of like, I always kind of be a little weary about like when I, before I pick one up, like what is this one going to be like? But this is a new year. We like to take advantage of the whole fresh start kind of idea. And so I thought, well, in January, a lot of people like to make New Year's resolutions. And we also know how many of them don't work out. Um, you get really excited about making a resolution, you know, oh, I'm going to go for a run every day. And then first day you did your like an hour run. And then the second day you went out and did another hour. And then on the third day, your muscles got getting to get really sore. And you're like, you know what, maybe, maybe I'll skip a day. I'll pick it up the fourth day. And then on the fourth day, you know, it was raining really hard. And you're like, oh, you know what, maybe I won't today. And then sooner or later, you have completely abandoned your New Year's resolution. And that's something that has probably happened to many of us. So give this year, you're thinking about oh, maybe making some behavior changes and totally won't blame you if you're just going to be like, you know what, I'm just not going to do anything this year. That is totally fine too. But if you're thinking about making some changes, the book that I have for you might help a little bit, at least to kind of think about maybe reframe those resolutions a little differently and also have a bit of a more of a chance of succeeding in in keeping those changes. And the book that I have is Atomic Habits by James Clear. Now, like I said, I love books about psychology. So this one is not the first. The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg is probably one of the, the first book that sort of got people interested in sort of looking at how habits are formed. And why I decided to go with this one, I think, is because I like the balance between sort of the science of how habits are formed with very practical applications and practical tips delivered in a really clear and sort of straightforward kind of manner. So one of the things that when we think about New Year resolution, we always think about them as they're always really big goals, right? They're like things like, I'm going to be healthier. I'm going to spend more time with my family. I'm going to read more, right? Those are all like big giant goals. But not very often we don't realize is that those are kind of the end. They are the results. They are things like that we cannot control. Instead, what James Clear would suggest is forget about the goals. Focus on the system. Focus on the things that you can control, which is the things that you do. And hopefully turning those behavior that we do every day, our actions, into something that we don't even have to think about. Automate them so that it requires no conscious effort, which means it becomes a habit. And so he started by talking about how a habit of form. So the four stages of a habit, you got your cue, you got your craving, your response, and your reward. And he described each of those phases. And then he talked about what you can do to make sure that an action that you wanted to develop becomes a habit by making it obvious, by making it attractive, making it easy, and making it satisfactory. So a very simple example would be like, when we say we want to read more, you decide something that you can do to get there to, the, to that. Read 10 pages a day. So that's my, that's the habit that I want to do, read 10 pages. And then he would say, well, you know, you want to tie it to a cue, 
a trigger that you know that it is time for you to go read more. And he would say that tied to something that requires no willpower, requires no conscious effort to make that decision to do so. Because if you tie it to something that requires the willpower, it will like never happen. Because willpower is something that you know, depends on what day it is. It's really hard to keep up throughout the whole day. You want to read 10 pages, tie it to a time like maybe when you finish dinner. You're going to eat every day. Finishing dinner does not require you to make a decision. It's going to happen when you after you start eating. So tie it to that and then say every time, every day after dinner, then this is your cue. And then you go and read 10 pages. But not only that, make that easier by having your book right next to you so that there is no friction. There is no barrier for you to carry out that action. And conversely, if you're trying to break an undesirable habit, he would suggest to make it really hard, make it hard for you to get at it. You like to snack before you go to sleep every day? Well, don't put the snack like right next to you on your coffee table. Put it like in the kitchen, somewhere in the deep, dark corner of your cupboards so that you can't get at it without taking out all the stuff in front of it, without having to get up from your couch to walk to the kitchen. Make it just a little bit more difficult. And that any any kind of little things like that to help your habit along so that you don't have to think too much about it. And I think what I love the most about sort of what he said about this whole thing is that Start with something small, and that's the reason why he chose the word atomic, because he wants us to think about something very, very small. In fact, he said, if you want to start a habit, the first few times you do this, it should be something that can be done under two minutes. So if you want to form a habit about folding all your laundry, don't fold a whole basket of laundry, fold one pair of socks. That's your first day. Just fold that one pair. And then when you think about it, it's like, well, that's easy. I can do, I can fold one pair of socks unless you're trying to do the Marie Kondo fancy folding. Maybe that would make it a little longer. But generally, folding one pair of socks is fairly easy to do. So that's what he would suggest. Start with something super easy. You want to have to develop this habit to go for a run every day? Just put on your runners, walk out the door and come back. You don't even have to go for a run on the first day. Just make it so easy for your brain to start adjusting to the idea that this is something that you want to do. So I find a lot of tips and a lot of good tricks in the book, very practical um, to help whatever habit that you're hoping to develop this year. Um, so if you are looking for a book that just kind of talk about the science behind this and how this work to help you maybe make some changes this year, check out Atomic Habits by James Clear. Very nice. I'm convinced you should do TED Talks. <laughs> I'll just repeat what they say. <laughs> <laughs> like short TED Talks, like under two minute TED Talks. There you go, yeah. <laughs> Mini TED, just tea talks, tea talks. <gasps> Can we drink already tea? named it. You can drink tea, but it's under two minutes. You've removed the ed part of it, and now you just have the tea. And you save on copyright infringement. So. <laughs> that's, that's the real benefit. <laughs> you don't even have to buy a barcode. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us and kind of learning about 
uh, different different kind of modes of self-help. I like how it was stuff about self-care. I liked how it was stuff about like making your own business or starting a new endeavor, um, about maybe finally cleaning this pile of laundry that is right next to me on this desk and arranging it nicely, like in Sadie's book, in a closet that is organized. Um, <laughs> I bought a shoe shelf. That's been my contribution so far, and it has made a world of difference. Yeah. You mean, like, I just usually, like, throw them in a pile by the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, we have, like, shoe shelves in the closet, but our the shoes we wear every day usually goes on the other side of the little, like, entryway just in a pile on the floor. And so I bought a shoe shelf and it is amazing what it has done. I'm very impressed. Mm -hmm. I'm very impressed. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as a shoe shelf. The shoe shelf is gonna fix my life, Sadie? I'm gonna say yes. (laughs) Yeah. And you can buy a branded Sadie shoe shelf from Fiona's (laughs) Etsy store. (laughs) With recycled barcodes. Well, that is all of all of it from us uh, for today for Keep It Fictional. Uh, we hope that you have a wonderful start to 2021 and look forward to sharing many great reads with you this whole year. Have a good one, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Mm-hmm.